0: Hello and welcome to the Let It Ride co- podcast coming at you on a Tuesday night, the Tuesday after the end of the nfl regular season black monday has come and gone we've seen a couple of coaches get fired including the offensive coordinator of the commanders and speaking of the commanders commanders fan my friend james is joining me now james how you doing man
1: how goes it, man? I'm doing pretty well. Just uh, enjoying my Tuesday night. How about you, boss? Uh, doing
0: the same. I just got in for this Georgetown game, just uh, waiting in the car to go up to my spotlight and do my 10 minutes of work to get my four hours of pay and be out of here. So, uh, a pretty good deal for me today. Uh, as I said, though, Scott Turner being fired from the Washington Commanders. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, what direction are you hoping to see the team go as far as a new hire?
1: Uh, yeah, really happy that we uh, got rid of Scott Turner. Our offense was Just really anemic, granted we didn't have any great quarterback play, so we were going to be kind of a run-heavy team. But in terms of which way I hope we go, I'm hoping that we get one of the uh, fired coaches. Um, I don't want to go into the college ranks. I feel like when you go into the college ranks, you're looking more for your full-time head coach. Um, It would be cool if we could get like a Cliff Cliff Kingsbury. He was a great OC in college. I don't know what he'll be in the NFL. as just an OC that Cardinals offense always kind of got a little stagnant at the end of the year, but, uh, just excited to see what we're going to do
0: now. Is there anybody uh, in the organization now that you could see getting promoted? Uh, like, do you think hiring from within is an option?
1: No, I honestly don't think hiring from within. I mean, the whole organization is about to get, I mean, I would say it's going to get an overhaul, but it's been getting overhauled for the last two years with the name changes and the quarterback issues. But, uh, I don't think we have anybody that can step up to the plate and make that change.
0: You know, I have to ask because a lot of great offensive minds have come and gone uh, through Washington. Of course, um, uh, Kyle Shanahan uh you got Mike LaFleur up there in Green Bay um Sean McVay a lot of great offensive minds have come through Washington so I wouldn't be surprised to hear that another one was sitting there on the staff but uh yeah I'm not really sure I'd like Kingsbury to go anywhere I, I I think that Cliff Kingsbury shouldn't have gotten his job in the first place um maybe he'd be okay as an offensive coordinator but like you said those offenses seem to bog down towards the end of seasons now um Speaking of your commanders, the end of the season did not go as planned for you guys. Uh, of course, you beat us uh, in the season finale. A game that meant nothing to you, Sam Howell, coming in and doing a fantastic job. But Sam Howell really raised the question. Um, if Howell or Heineke is starting that game against the Browns, do you think the commanders are in the playoffs?
1: Oh, 1,000%. I think uh, especially if we have Heineke in there, we win. I mean, we don't have the two just instant turnovers – that put us behind the A ball. Deshaun Watson did not play well. So we were in the game the whole time. We just couldn't get a spark going. I don't think that team plays for Carson Wentz. I mean, it seems to be kind of a uh, a thing now that players and teams don't really get behind Carson like you would expect. So uh, I think with Heineke in there, even if he does throw an early pick, the team rallies behind him, how I'm not so sure because he is a rookie, you know, it, we haven't seen when teams truly adjust for him. I don't think the Cowboys adjusted coming out of that second half. I think they were just more looking for a spark, just trying to get anything good. So, And that was mostly on the offensive side. I don't think they did anything different on the defensive side. So I don't know what would have happened if Hal would have been in there.
0: Yeah, uh, it's almost the definition of insanity to me, just plugging Carson Wentz in there in a must-win game and being like, all right, this time it's going to work out. Like we saw last year, like it never works out with Carson Wentz. You, you, he just does not show up in big games. I think uh, the best thing that could have happened for the Eagles, if you look back at it, was him getting hurt going into the playoffs because he clearly uh, just can't get it done in, in big spots.
1: Yeah, I mean, same situation last year with the Colts. Win that last football game, they make the playoffs. Carson couldn't do it. And I don't know what possessed Ron Revere. I mean, I would admit Taylor hadn't been playing that great the last few games. We had the tie and then we lost to the Giants. But, I mean, it still showed hope and promise. He was still performing better than Carson. When Carson came in after Taylor, he didn't do anything to make you think, oh, wow, he really needs to be starting again. So it's, yeah, just kind of odd to me that we decided to go back to Carson
0: yeah, so uh, unfortunately, your commanders will not be a part of these playoffs. So the conversation you and I are going to be diving into is confidence rankings for teams heading into the playoffs. We divided it into six categories, coaching, quarterback play, skill players, offensive line pass rush and secondary and we're going to start in the nfc and we're going to start with the coaches and number one at the top of the list i hate to say it man it is our division rival it is brian dayball i think he is the coach of the year in the nfl this year and i have the most confidence in him i have him number one brian dayball head coach of the new york giants
1: oh wow that's that's a shocker because uh i have kyle shanahan okay
0: 49ers the way he's i mean
1: One, I will give credit to Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy has been playing awesome, but it seems like that Kyle Shanahan system is just plug and play. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is, we're gonna win eight games. I mean, other as long as it's not C.J. Beathard or uh, I think Nick Mullins, you can see that Kyle Shanahan knows what he's doing, and he's gonna put his team in the best position to win.
0: Yeah, I, I did discount Kyle Shanahan a little bit, fairly or unfairly, because number one, he does have any, an incredible amount of talent on that team. Uh, every other category outside of quarterback, uh, skill player, offensive line, secondary pass rush, you're going to see this San Francisco 49ers team ranking really high. So I did penalize him for that. And 28-3 to 3 is still on his resume, as is that uh, collapse against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl as well. So I took some points away, like I said, fairly or unfairly.
1: I mean, I believe it's fair. I mean, those are part of Kyle Shanahan's resume. So I just can't give Brian Dayball the nod over Kyle because Kyle, the one thing about Kyle, he's been consistent the entire time. Once he started winning, he hasn't really stopped winning. The 49ers have always been in the conversation about a team that can win it all. So I have to give Kyle that credit.
0: Uh, fair enough. I did not have him too far down the rankings for that. I did have him at number three, but number two, I had Pete Carroll uh, in the same mold of Brian Dayball. Like he just took a team to the playoffs that really has no business being there.
1: Yeah. Um, I got Pete Carroll too, actually coming in because of that exact same reason. I don't think Geno Smith is, uh, I mean, he's a great quarterback for what he's been asked to do, but I mean, I don't think anybody expected the Seahawks team to make the playoffs with Geno. And nobody expected Gino to break Russell's uh, single season passing record.
0: Yeah. um, I I really, I have Gino last in my quarterback rankings. I'm I'm skipping ahead just a little bit. Um, He started out the season kind of on fire towards the end of the season. We really saw him uh, come back to what we expected. Now, uh Seattle was hot enough in the middle of the year to get to the playoffs. And I think that speaks to Pete. But uh, I, I agree. I have him here at number two. My number three, we already talked about. Uh, you have him at number one. That's Kyle Shanahan. Um, we could just roll through the next three really quick, because I think you can flip flop them any way you want. I have Nick Sirianni at four, Mike McCarthy at five, Kevin O'Connell at six.
1: I have uh, just take day ball down one, put Sirianni at three, and it's all pretty much the same.
0: Gotcha. And it sounds like we are in agreement. Todd Bowles, the combination of Todd Bowles and Byron Left, which are the worst coaching staff in the NFC playoffs.
1: Yeah. I mean, kind of not hard to see that if it wasn't for Tom Brady, this team would be completely lost.
0: Yeah, I just don't understand what's going on with them. Tom Brady broke some kind of record for pass attempts, and yet it seems they always run the ball on first down. They have the most predictable play calling. They don't run play action enough. It's something that Tom Brady is great at. I just, I really think Todd Bowles and Byron Left, which as a Cowboys fan, I'm really excited to be going up against them because it's not often with Mike McCarthy as as my head coach that I feel confident that my coaching staff is going to outcoach the other side. I have that confidence going into this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, that confidence is not uh, un... Um, what am I trying to say? It's a... Uh, unwarranted. <laughs> yeah, it's not unwarranted. Thank you. It's not unwarranted because they've just been making bad decisions, whether it's clock management. I mean, letting Tom Brady go in in a meaningless game so he can get the pass attempts record and the pass completion record. That's the only reason he played that game, so he could break that stupid record he broke last year. I mean, Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think anybody else even knew. Like, I wouldn't have known that record existed unless unless somebody said it on the broadcast. So uh, it's just one of those things that nobody cared about, uh, except for Tom. You know, he's all about his legacy. Uh, speaking of Tom, we are going to keep it with the NFC and move on to quarterbacks. And I have him number one in the NFC as far as quarterbacks go. And that says more about the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFC than it does anything about Tom Brady. Um, when we get to the AFC quarterbacks, they are much better than this field of quarterbacks we have in the NFC. But I don't think it's really a stretch to say this might be – the worst field of quarterbacks a conference has ever fielded uh, for a playoff field.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, with Tom Brady being the greatest quarterback of all time, I still have Jalen hurt above him as in my opinion right now, the best quarterback in the NFC just for this season. Just, that makes sense. Yeah. Just for this season, for what he's done this season. I think if he didn't miss those two games with injury, it wouldn't even be close and he'd be still in that MVP conversation.
0: Yeah, I thought the MVP conversation with him was a little bit overblown just because uh, that roster is just completely loaded. And um I think, if anything, his case got strengthened when he went out. They lost those two games with Garner Minshew. But I still don't think – I mean, I, I don't think he's on the level of a Mahomes, of an Allen, of a Burrow um, and in the NFC, I could definitely see the argument that he's number one. But as of now, the only time I've seen him in the playoffs was last year when he got completely destroyed against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So as of now, I have him at number two. I have Brady at number one. Um, I have Dak Prescott at number three. I know that he has not looked great. And again, this is more of this says more about the rest of the quarterbacks than it does about Dak Prescott.
1: So um, if we're going off Dak, I actually have Dak at four. Because I just talked about him. I have Brock Purdy at three. Wow,
0: really really high on Mr.
1: Irrelevant. Yes, I've really enjoyed what Brock Purdy's done. He's been, I have to admit, he's been playing stellar. I mean, part of it is because I have Kyle Shanahan as, you know, the best coach in the Uh NFC. But I mean, what he's done, he's done everything that Kyle's asked him to do. He's done it to the fullest of his abilities without trying
0: to get above himself. So at number four, the thing that sparked this conversation, I tweeted this out earlier uh, before we went into the playoffs, that I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think the combination of coaching QB I had the most faith in in the NFC playoffs – is Brian Dayball and Daniel Jones? I have Daniel Jones fourth here. I've been the biggest Daniel Jones hater in the world, but you can't discount what he's done. He's second on that team in yards from scrimmage. As the quarterback, he has no wide receivers, and he just he made a year-four leap. The Giants didn't even pick up his fifth-year option. Quarterbacks never or hardly ever make a leap this late in their career. But something about Brian Dayball has brought this out in Daniel Jones. And I think he's a franchise quarterback. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I thought for sure he'd be out of the league after this season.
1: I'm not that high on Daniel Jones. Um, I do believe this is the first season Saquon has played the entire season with Daniel Jones. Am I correct? I believe you're correct. Yes. So, I mean, I'm going to give a lot of that, praise to Saquon Barkley and him staying healthy and allowing Daniel Jones to kind of, I don't want to say do the minimum, but manage the game because one nice thing about Saquon that you can give him credit for this year, unlike his other years, and he hasn't been such a boom bust player where, oh yeah, Saquon Barkley had 18 carries for a hundred yards, but one of them was a 65 yarder. He's had much more, 10, 8, 12-yard runs and not so many. One big run and then three 5-yard runs, you know? So I have to give a lot of that to Saquon.
0: Yeah, I, I think what the, the situation that Daniel Jones has been set up, and it's fairly similar to the situation the Titans put Ryan Tannehill in. You gave him a stud running back. And and you just let him go. And we saw what Ryan Tannehill was, was able to do with a guy like A.J. Brown. Daniel Jones doesn't even have the A.J. Brown type. And we saw what happened when you took A.J. Brown away from Ryan Tannehill. So, I think – and I think their skill sets are fairly similar as well. They're both faster than you think. You know, faster than you think white quarterback. You know, they're they're, they're cut from the same mold.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're definitely cut from the same mold. Um, Daniel Jones does do a lot of things with his leg that people don't expect. But I just – I think I'm still hung up on the Daniel Nichols where he's throwing four interceptions
0: a game. He's you're you're giving him four more pennies than me. I called him Danny Pennies. I'm right there with you, but I just, yeah. I've, I've turned a corner with him.
1: Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm maybe that image of him running butt naked open and then just fumbling the ball out of nowhere is kind of burning in my brain, but I just can't. I think I have him fifth. You know, I just can't trust him all the way.
0: So uh, we have the same top five. Uh, we're both. I mean, I figured you below were on Kirk Cousins as well, considering you've seen him up close and personal. I have Purdy at five, Kirk Cousins at at six, and Geno Smith rounding things out at seven.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: I have um, Daniel Jones at six. I have Cousins at five, and then Geno Smith rounding it out at seven. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I mean that's. Once you get to the bottom of the crop with these NFC quarterbacks, I mean, Brock Purdy could turn into a pumpkin overnight. I mean, he is a seventh round pick for a reason. Uh, the magic could run out at any moment with him. So we shall see. But he does have this going for him as we move on to the skill players in the NFC. I have San Francisco sitting at number one and it's not even close. They, they had the best skill position players of anybody in the NFC playoffs, of anybody in the NFL, and I think you could say maybe of anybody in the NFL of the past decade, uh, this is the best skill position group that's been assembled in the NFL in quite a long time.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, this skill position group is going to be one that we're going to remember for a long time. Um, I just – I'm excited for what they're going to do in the playoffs,
0: but I just – I'm still kind of hesitant about the quarterback play. Yeah, you don't know. Like I said, you don't know what you're going to get from Brock Purdy, but he has every advantage. He has a good head coach in Kyle Shanahan. He has Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Kyle Yushchek. He has all these weapons at his disposal. And if you're setting up, you know, a unproven quarterback to succeed, uh, this is how you do it. This is exactly the way that you want to do it with, with all of these advantages.
1: Definitely. I mean, and especially with the I think the defense is going to provide the best um, support for Brock Purdy because I don't think any game is going to truly get out of hand for them. And they're always going to be able to get a stop when they need to. The defense can rally and they can get a lot done.
0: Yeah. I think the only time that we've seen San Francisco fall out of the game was against the chiefs and the chiefs, uh, Patrick Mahomes can do that to anybody. Uh, there's nobody in the NFC that's going to be doing that to them. I have the Minnesota Vikings in at number two, and this is the only category that they're going to rank high. I think this is a pretty overrated team, but what is not overrated is Justin Jefferson. He is absolutely incredible. You add TJ Hawkinson to that Adam Thielen, not what he used to be, but he's still a solid number two, uh, Osborne out of the slot. And, um, Dalvin Cook in the backfield. I have this skill position group at number two in the NFC.
1: Yeah, we're on the same page with that. I almost put them at three. I almost put the Eagles above them. But, again, Justin Jefferson, what he did this year, I don't think there's anybody that can really guard him. I mean, the corner, uh, J.R. Alexander from uh, Green Bay has uh, something to say when I say nobody can guard him. But even then, I still think that Justin Jefferson – is arguably the best receiver in the game right now. I mean, best year he had, and so this skill, the skill group is going to be a lot of trouble if Kirk Cousins can just not
0: throw the game away. Yeah, I expect that, uh, that game to be a shootout. We'll talk about the games we're done too. I expect that game to be an absolute shootout. We saw that in their first matchup as well. Uh, just like you, I have Philly at number three, AJ Brown, Devonta Smith coming on at the end of the season. Uh, Dallas Goddard. Uh, this skill position group is pretty good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have them at number three as well. Philadelphia at three. I have my Dallas Cowboys here at number four. Uh, that two-headed monster at running back with Pollard and Elliott is still really good. CeeDee Lamb proved that he was a number one receiver this year. I have them pretty solidly at number four. I flirted with having them higher. I didn't want to be too much of a homer. I think those other three units are a little bit better. But Dallas uh, has the skill players. is definitely nothing to sneeze at.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially with the landscape of the rest of the NFC, Dallas is solidly at number four. Um, I wasn't sure if CD was going to be the number one. I think we talked about it, how I asked if Michael Gallup was going to be the one. And CD has definitely changed my mind on that. Zeke has come back into his own as the every down back. And then with Tony Pollard splashed in, it's awesome.
0: So then just to wrap up the skill players in the NFC, I have Tampa Bay at number five uh, with Godwin and Evans Uh Fournette seems to have taken a step back, but there's, are st- uh, still half, at least halfway decent at number five, number six, I have Seattle, a uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Ken Walker in the argument for uh, offensive rookie of the year. And then of course the giants, we talked about their lack of skill position players. I have them rounding it out at number seven.
1: Yeah. Um, I kind of flirted with moving the Seahawks up a little bit more, but, Just because DK and Tyler, I I can't do it just for those two. Um, They're two great players, but I think uh, our rankings are pretty solid.
0: Uh, That's going to move us on to the NFC offensive line. And we won't spend as much time on this. Uh, People really don't like to hear about people talk about offensive lines, but they do. uh, They help teams win. And when you look at the top two offensive line, I think it's number one is Philly and number two is San Francisco. And um, having that great offensive line, uh, it it goes hand in hand with having a great team. I think those are the two best teams in the NFC playoffs and they have the two best offensive lines.
1: Oh, easily. I mean, especially you can tell by the run game, how dominant those lines are and how far their running backs are able to move before they even get contacted behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, uh, contacted beyond the line of scrimmage, excuse me. I mean, those two offensive lines are probably what those teams hang their hats on. And it's going to be scary watching them go forward.
0: I have Tampa Bay in at number three and my Cowboys at number four. I probably would have had the Cowboys at number three if not for the Terrence Steele injury, but he was playing uh, right tackle at an all pro level before he got hurt. His injury really affects this offensive line. Now we do have Tyron Smith coming back. We have the ancient Jason Peters that can plug in the offensive line there as well. But uh, that Terrence Steele injury just bumps them down a little bit in my rankings.
1: Yeah, um, pretty much how I had it. The Terrence Steele injury. Really surprised me. I wasn't expecting much from Terrence still, but the fact that he came in and was solid and then Tyron Smith was coming back. I was kind of hopeful. Granted, I'm a Washington fan. I'll say I was as hopeful as I can be for a Cowboys team, but I thought that line was going to get a nice little bolster.
0: Yeah, I was on the same boat. I, I could have had this Cowboys team up there with that Philly and that San Francisco line. Um, I didn't expect that leap from Terrence Steele either. He was arguably our most improved player this year. I have Minnesota at number five. They're down at their third-string center. That could prove problematic moving forward in the playoffs. I have Seattle at number six, and then the Giants rounding it out at number seven.
1: Bingo. Um, I think the thing that especially is going to hurt um, Minnesota is it seems – every team that they're going to play, most of the teams are going to play can get pressure on the interior. They can hurt you on the middle and being on that third string center is just going to cause a whole lot of problems, especially with calls and blitz pickups and things of that nature.
0: Uh, So that's going to move us on to the defensive side of the ball, starting with the pass rush. And I have San Francisco at number one. I would love to have my Cowboys at number one and be a Homer, but, uh, Nick Bosa is the defensive player of the year that San Francisco defense has carried them all year and they're healthy. Now, I think we saw in the middle of the season, they kind of took a step back, but it was really just because of injury. So I have Sam Fran solidly at number one, Dallas, Dallas solidly at number two.
1: Yeah. Those two aren't even up for debate. I wouldn't even question putting Dallas. Number one, They would firmly be number two. Sam Fran is solidified at number one, mostly because Bosa and that pass rush, the way they can get after you at San Francisco Like I said, I think that's going to be the biggest help for Brock Purdy is the fact that that pass rush will keep them in games.
0: Yeah, then I have uh, Philadelphia in at number three. Uh, Hassan Reddick has had a great season. I've seen a little bit of scuttlebutt on Twitter, people talking about, oh, Hassan Reddick had more sacks than Michael Parsons. He's better. It's like sack numbers don't mean that you're a better player. I know Nick Bosa is leading the league in sacks. And so it might make you think, oh, that that is the bellwether, but it not. Isn't necessarily the bellwether for the best pass rush. Just getting a number of sacks, you have to look at pressure rate. And um, Michael Parsons is still number one in the league just in pressure rate. So the fact that his sack total is lower doesn't make me think that Asan Reddick is any better than him. So I have Philly here at number four, then the Bucks uh, at. I'm sorry, Philly at number three and the Bucks in at number four.
1: All right, I mean, not arguable. Um, I think Philly and the Bucks are interchangeable. You can have them three or four because I have the Bucks at three, but I mean it's not a big deal to have. Philly at three. Um, Hassan Reddick. I mean, uh, to me, uh, that was one of the best pickups that Philly made. Was getting, cause he was uh, with the Lions, correct?
0: I don't know if he was with the Lions. I know he was with the Cardinals at one point. I don't know if he had another stop in between the Cardinals and, and the Eagles.
1: I'm trying. I remember that he was a free agent pickup. And I, mean, I didn't think anything of it, but he came on like a bat out of hell this year.
0: Yeah, and when you add him uh, w- with a guy like Fle- Fletcher Cox and uh, uh, who's the big uh, defensive tackle that they-, they drafted as well, Jordan something or another, but uh, you-, you add him with that defensive front and it makes for a good pass rush there in Philly. Jordan Davis.
1: Jordan, yeah. Well, and then one thing that helps that pass rush in Philly, I know we're kind of getting a little early, is that secondary in Philly. That secondary in Philly is just a cum- icing on the cake for that pass rush.
0: Uh, yeah, they're definitely going to be number one when we talk about the secondaries. I have the Giants solidly at number five kind of by themselves. Uh, Wink Martindale with that with that blitz package kind of vaults them up a little bit. And they have some talent with Kevon Thibodeau as well.
1: Yeah, Thibodeau is uh, probably the only bright spot on that Giants pass rush. I mean, and then the coaching, they get coached up in, in a lot of great spots. But it seems that the drop off from four, five, six, and seven is just astonishing in this pass rush.
0: Yeah, it's even worse when you get to the AFC side. I mean, the Cowboys, the, um, I mean, I think you could put the Eagles, Cowboys, or 49ers. They'd be easily number one in the AFC. Uh, all, all the defense seems to be on the NFC side. I know we talked about the quarterbacks all being on the AFC side. I think the defense is much better here on the NFC side. I have Minnesota at six and the Seahawks at seven. That has been the Seahawks. Um, really, their Achilles heel all season is that they can't get pressure on the quarterback.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a soft defensive pass rush that philly ha- i mean philly, that the seahawks have i mean you get all the time in the world it's and they don't have really any anybody any playmakers in there on the pass rush anymore it seems as if the legion of boom days are over cam chancellor all of that is just kind of a memory now and it's kind of weird to see honestly from the seahawks
0: Yeah, you think the Seahawks and the first thing you think of is the Legion of Boom. And right now, um, they're they're getting by with their offense, uh, with Geno Smith and and with Pete Carroll. So uh, moving on to the secondaries, like you said, I have Philly solidly at number one. I don't think it's even remotely close. They have the best secondary in the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much more to say. (laughs) Philly's been the best secondary. Arguably, Philly and Buffalo have the two best secondaries in the league right
0: now. Buffalo when they're fully healthy. Yeah, the injuries are definitely hurting Buffalo. Um, I actually have Tampa Bay at number two here. I know a lot of people might sit here and say all oh, the San Francisco defense is way better, but their secondary isn't all that great outside of Treverius Ward. I think it's more a scheme. So I actually have the Bucks here at number two.
1: I think you're going to be surprised, but I actually put the Cowboys secondary at number two.
0: Wow. Yeah, I just, I just think the injuries that we've had at safety and at cornerback, I just, I, I had to, I had to put us, I have us all the way down at four, actually.
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I get the injuries have been a big problem, but it seems it might be because of that pass rush that you have. But it seems like the Cowboys' secondary has been kind of underrated this year. I mean, Digs, everybody knows Digs. You can't pick on Brown anymore like people used to in the past, and then they've just kind of. They've played great complimentary football, especially with each other. It's not as if with the Cowboys team, they don't have the – they don't give up the big plays and stuff like that that you would expect a bad secondary. And I think they're actually going to make a little bit of noise.
0: Well, I hope you're right. You can also, I mean, you talked about the Legion of Boone. You can definitely credit Dan Quinn with what's going on with the defense there in Dallas. Um, I have Sam Fran at three. I talked about Javarius Ward in that scheme. The Cowboys at number four. The Giants at number five. The Seahawks uh, at number six. And the Vikings, one of the worst pass defenses in the league, rounded out at number seven.
1: Boom, Sam. Um, uh, since I had the Cowboys two, I have Tampa three. But then everything after that is the same.
0: So uh, breaking it down overall in the rankings, San Fran ended up I, – I basically broke it down numerically, so a, a low number is better here. San Fran ended with 14 points. They're number one. Philadelphia, number two, with 15 points. The Cowboys – uh, 21 points, number three, Tampa Bay, 22, uh, they're number four, the Giants at number five with 29 points, the Vikings at number six and the Seahawks at number seven. And I think the Vikings and Giants are interchangeable, but I, th- I think this formula has really broken out the way that I thought it would because that is the confidence rankings I would have overall for these teams coming into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are – I might have a little more confidence in Tampa just because you're always going to get that Tom Brady factor. But, I mean, I don't think I'm going to put them over Philly, over San Fran, who I think is actually going to win it. I mean, they're solidified at four. I might
0: put them at third just because of Tom Brady, but no arguments there. So that is going to move us on to the AFC side of things, starting again with head coach. Um, you got to go with the guy that's been there. I've got Andy Reid at number one, and I don't think there's much of a conversation to be had.
1: Yeah, there's no, there is no arguments against Andy. I mean, What Andy Reid has done over his entire career, it just speaks for itself. And he's there once again with one of the best teams in the league competing for a Super Bowl.
0: I have Sean McDermott with Buffalo at number two. Now, Sean McDermott was one of my favorite coaches in the league. We saw him drag a team quarterback by Tyrod Taylor to the playoffs a few years ago, and he had a great defense. Then he gets Josh Allen, and just all bets are off then. So I I think he's still a great head coach, and I have him solidly at number two.
1: No arguments there. Sean McDermott is, I mean, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't have much confidence in him whenever he came in, but I wasn't sold on him. But what he's done to that Buffalo team is just think about Buffalo seven years ago, think about him now, and it's just two completely different teams.
0: Yeah, at number three, I have. i I'm just going to call it the Cincinnati coaching staff. Um, I'm not that high on Zach Taylor. I think he's a little bit of an overrated head coach. I am high on Lou Anarumo. He is one of my favorite coordinators, probably my favorite defensive coordinator in the league. His halftime adjustments are absolutely incredible. So I think he vaults the coaching staff up here to number three. Um, I would actually go Harbaugh. Um, so if – yes, yeah, been- so – if we're just talking head coach, then yes. But then I have to f- factor in that Lou Anarumo is on the coaching staff of Cincinnati. Greg Roman's still the offensive coordinator with the Ravens. That's why I had them a little bit lower. I think Greg Roman's one of the worst offensive coordinators in the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not huge on Greg Roman. Uh, it's kind of become like uh, the Cowboys in the 90s, Emmett left, Emmitt right, where it's Lamar left, Lamar right, Lamar throw it to Mark Andrews. They have just a basic offense, but – There's something about Harbaugh. I can can never count Harbaugh out. I don't think they're going to win the title, but I trust him and his coaching decisions more than I trust Zach Taylor. But I have Zach Taylor immediately after
0: Harbaugh. Yeah, like I said, if it was just based on head coach, I'd have Harbaugh higher. But um, right now I have Mike McDaniel actually at number four. I think he's done a great job there in Miami. Um, You have all these guys who are billed as offensive geniuses, uh, Cliff Kingsbury and the like, that aren't offensive geniuses at all. However, I think Mike McDaniel actually is that offensive genius, that that young gun head coach. And um I really like what he's done with Miami. And it's unfortunate that uh that we're seeing two and not be able to play in these playoffs because I think Miami would be able to make some noise if he was.
1: So I uh, think this is somewhere we're gonna differ. Um I actually have Doug Peterson next. Um, what wow, he's done okay. with that Jags team, I mean Maybe it's the, I'm comparing him to Urban Meyer and everybody's going to look fucking amazing compared to Urban Meyer's coaching, but Doug Peterson has tapped into that Jags team and he's motivated them. They play for him really hard, granted, because they played for Urban Meyer last year, but Doug Peterson has found a strategy. I think they went seven and two in their last nine games, battled their way into the playoffs. And I think they have a legitimate shot to beat the Chargers.
0: I do as well, only because I have Brandon Staley at seven. I put Doug Peterson at six. I think he's done a fine job with Jacksonville, but it's kind of like if you had that friend who dated a terrible girlfriend and you hated when she was around and Doug Peterson's kind of that next girlfriend and everyone's like, oh yeah, she's great. We like her. And it's because you're comparing her to that last girl who was terrible.
1: Oh, that can, like I said, that definitely could be the the reason. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm not comparing him to the Urban Meyer issue, but I just I had a Staley at seven as well, and then I just, I don't know. I I don't dislike um, uh, Mike uh, God dang it. Michael Daniels. But uh, I don't dislike him. I just believe that Doug Peterson's done a little bit more. Um, And then whenever you start eight and three or eight and two and you barely make the playoffs, I got to kind of take some points away from you, especially when the team starts two and six and roll into the playoffs.
0: Uh, Fair enough. I I could definitely be talked into putting Peterson ahead of McDaniel. So uh, but but for me, I had Harbaugh five, Peterson six, uh, Staley rounding it out at seven. And that is going to move us on to the AFC quarterbacks. And like I said, that NFC crop left us wanting this AFC crop absolutely does not. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. I have them one, two, three, four. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, the MVP of the league. Josh Allen having another great season. Uh, Joe Burrow. You just He might not be physically what Justin Herbert is. I used to be on the Herbert side of the Burrow-Herbert debate. I think Burrow has won me over this year just because he has that moxie and just that it factor that Herbert doesn't seem to have. So I have Mahomes, Allen Burrow, Herbert, one, two, three, four.
1: Um, We have the same top three, Mahomes, Allen Burrow, but I actually put Trevor Lawrence ahead of uh, Justin Herbert. Wow, okay. That's probably the Clemson homer in me, but – over the last nine weeks, Trevor Lawrence has been the best quarterback in the NFL, just numbers-wise. He's – other than he missed a few throws the last game, I will admit that. But it just seems like he's taking a step, a leap, in the middle of the season. He took that leap in the middle of the season, and now he's what everybody thought he was going to be coming out of college.
0: Yeah, you're really getting that year-two leap that you're supposed to get. You're just getting it a little bit late because – he was so – just like the, the Urban Meyer year was just such a detriment to him that you're just getting it a little bit later.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly how I feel. I just kind of throw that Urban Meyer year out. And then – but after Lawrence, I got Justin Herbert. I mean, again, they're interchangeable in my mind. I'm a huge Clemson fan, so I believe that's kind of why I have Trevor Lawrence above Justin Herbert. I wouldn't be mad to have either on my team, though.
0: Uh, not at all. I have Lawrence at number five. And then whoever's playing quarterback for Baltimore, I have at number six. And then I have whoever's playing for Miami at number seven.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Lamar was playing, then he'd probably be a little higher. Granted, he, uh, he's not. I don't think he's going to play. Tua, I'd still have Tua probably in the bottom three. So... It's not as if the quarterback change is going to be a huge difference for them.
0: Yeah, I, I, might, I might consider having Lamar ahead of guys like Herbert uh, or, or, even, um, or even Lawrence. But with his health issues, even if he's able to play, I think you still have to have him lower than those two guys. Yeah,
1: I mean, he still has to be lower. but I just don't think it's going to be as, oh, yeah, this is the worst quarterback or this is the second worst quarterback in the entire – I don't think the drop – from the rest of the group is going to be as major if you have Lamar and Tua in there.
0: Uh, definitely in agreement there. In fact, we talked about uh, guys who would be number one in the NFC. I think you could throw Lamar in there if he was fully healthy. That's going to take us on to the skill players in the AFC. And just like the NFC, I think there's a pretty clear number one. It's the Cincinnati Bengals, and I don't think there's any debate.
1: Yeah, I mean, you might as well just head to skip the two because I'm in, I'm in the same boat with you. Joe Mixon, the Jet, I mean – the tight ends for Cincinnati have really been stepping up, too. That's one that really surprised me. So
0: number two for me, I know that they don't have their quarterback, so they've kind of been forgotten. But I think those skill position players in Miami have to be number two. Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle. The in- injury to Raheem Mosert that just came out today, um, if he's unable to play, I might drop them below Kansas City just because Travis Kelsey is still Travis Kelsey. But um, if Moser's able to play, I have Miami at number two.
1: Yeah, I mean, the speed on the outside, it, I mean, speed kills. They have the two fastest receivers in the league. I mean, two of, if not the two fastest receivers in the league right now on the outside. And as long as you have somebody who can throw the ball 50 yards, they're scary. And then if most of their plays on top of that, I mean, that Dolphins skill position group, they're up there.
0: So I have the Chiefs at number three. Uh, Travis Kelsey really vaults them up. But they've also been getting great uh, contributions from Jarrett McKinnon and from Juju Smith-Schuster, a really underrated uh, free agency pickup. I actually wanted the Cowboys to go after Juju in the offseason. He lands with the Chiefs, and uh, he landed on his feet. He had a great season, and he's going to be looking at getting a big contract next year.
1: I'm actually going to go with the Bills over the Chiefs just because Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis is – nobody talks about Gabe Davis the way they need to talk about Gabe Davis. I mean, he's the one that tormented Kansas City last year in that playoff game or the last year or the year before in that playoff game. He had, I believe, three touchdowns against Kansas City. Um, They're running game, Four. Four solid. touchdowns. Four. Four. See, they ha- I have to put the Bills above Kansas City. Then I'll put Kansas City in there. But that Bills skills group is amazing.
0: Yeah, so we're just just flipped on that one. I have uh, Casey, and then I have the Bills. But I mean, we're splitting hairs really talking about those guys. I have the Chargers at number five. Uh, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams. Uh, Mike Williams getting hurt in that last game. By the way, that speaks to why we both have Brandon Staley as the last rated he- head coach in the AFC playoffs. What in the hell was he doing?
1: What was he doing?
0: A having his starters play the whole game. I had to bet on the Broncos because I thought, oh, he's definitely going to sit his starters. And the whole time I'm watching the game, I'm even more pissed off because I'm betting on him sitting his guys and he's just not doing it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're not going to get higher than the five seed. There's nothing else you can do. I get it if you roll them out there, let them play a series or two, like it's a preseason game, then get them the hell out of there. But you've been decimated by injuries all damn year. That's why you're the five seed. Nobody expected the Chargers to be this low, but they were injury riddled all year. And then he just fucking throws his guys back out there again.
0: Makes absolutely no sense to me. I have the Jaguars at number six and I had the Ravens rounding it out at number seven. Um, The Ravens have no skill position players outside of Mark Andrews. They have to be number seven here. It's You can sit here and, and be mad at Greg Roman. I'm mad at Greg Roman too for the ineffectiveness of this offense. But at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson has never had any receivers and, it, it really has shown in their offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're in the same boat. Um, I almost put the Jags at seven, but then I thought about it. Christian Kirk has been doing – he's been balling. He's been showing that he's worth the money they gave him. Travis Etienne. So I couldn't put them at seven. But And then I thought about it because it's literally just Lamar and Mark Andrews, and that's it.
0: Yeah, and that's been the story for the Ravens' offense uh, for the last two to three seasons.
1: Yeah, I mean, they tried to get um, Hollywood Brown. They had Hollywood Brown, and that just didn't work out. Like, it's – I don't know if it's Lamar not being able to get it to him. I mean, Deshaun Jackson is there, but Deshaun Jackson's 817 years old.
0: Yeah, he's he's not he's no longer Deshaun Jackson. Uh that's gonna move us on to the offensive lines and I'm gonna start with Kansas City. I have Kansas City at number one in the AFC. Um they really bolstered that offensive line with the trade they made with the Ravens, with the drafting of Creed Humphrey, who might be the best center in the league. Uh, they took that money that they, they saved on Tyreek Hill, and they invested in the offensive line, Joe Thuney and the like. Um, Patrick Mahomes has the best offensive line in his career. After that Super Bowl loss to the Bucks, they really focused on this offensive line, and it's paid dividends. I have them at number one.
1: Yeah, same same boat. Um, they kind of saw the air in their ways and realized, like, We have to protect a generational talent, and if we can't do that, he's going to end up like Andrew Luck.
0: I have the Dolphins, uh, excuse me, the Ravens in at number two, the Dolphins at number three, kind of the same as KC. The Dolphins really invested in that offensive line. The Jags at number four, the Bills at number five. I don't think they did anything to replace the guards that they lost in the offseason. Uh, the Chargers at number six with the caveat that if they get Rashawn Slater back, they could vault up this licks. And the Bengals, another team that really needed to fix some offensive line issues, but they lost lay Collins, So So I have them last place here at number seven.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're pretty much the same. I definitely had the Bengals at seven. Joe Burrow gets his ass kicked behind that line. You thought once they changed all five of their players last year that it would be something different. And, well, I I will admit they've gotten a lot better, but they're still not good.
0: So I'm now out on my spotlight. You might hear some background music. I'm here to work this Georgetown game. I have about five minutes of work to do, but I'll still be able to record through it. Um, that is going to move us on to the pass rush in the AFC. And none of these pass rushes are really anything to write home about. Um, the Bills have had some injuries. I have the Ravens at number one, just because that defense as a whole has been much, much better. It's kind of not being talked about because the team as a whole has struggled, but the defense has really stepped up, particularly since the Roquan Smith acquisition. So I have the Ravens here at number one.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no real standout pass rushers here. Um, Roquan Smith and those Ravens are probably the best, and I'm saying that wildly shaky. I mean, no, I don't think anybody's going to convince you that any AFC team in the playoffs has a standout pass rush.
0: It's kind of like the, uh, the NFC version of what we talked about with the quarterbacks. I had the Ravens number one, the Bills number two, uh, the Chargers number three, KC at it, number four, just because Chris Jones is still a menace in the middle. The Bengals at number five, and that's really just because of Luana Rumo and the scheme. The Jags at number six, and the Dolphins running it out at number seven.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with it. I mean, maybe I'd want to move the Jags up one spot just because Josh Allen. But, I mean, there's, there's nothing that really stands out that makes me gung-ho about any of these pass rushers. I mean, they all have individual pieces that are good, like a, a Josh Allen or... A Roquan Smith or a Nick Bosa, but nothing that's sustainable.
0: Yeah, the defenses as a whole in the AFC kind of leave us wanting. Um, that's And the Bills, like you said, it's basically just because of injuries. I still have their secondary at number one and the Ravens at number two. I think those are clearly the best two defenses coming into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, those would probably have to be the two who will give up the least amount of points, that's your most I mean, confidence rating. So those are the two you're most confident in. But I still don't think my confidence in either of those defenses are higher than about a four.
0: I can definitely see that. I have the Bengals at number three. And yet again, it's just because of Lou Anarumo. Well, uh, Tidobio if he was playing, I might have the Bengals a little bit higher. I had the Chiefs at four chargers at five the dolphins at six and the jags running it out at number seven now if we had run defense rankings the jags run defense is really good but their secondary is one of the worst in the league
1: yeah i mean and i think those two go hand in hand when you can't run the ball on somebody you're just gonna try to throw it all over the field you're gonna try to use those short quick passes as your run game so that probably affects them a little bit but yeah that run defense is where it's really at
0: for the jags So that takes us to the overall confidence rankings for the AFC. I have the Chiefs at number one. They came in with 13 points, actually higher than the San Francisco 49ers on the other side. The Bills at 16, the Bengals at 22, the Ravens, uh, excuse me, the Chargers at 21, the Ravens at 22. So the Chargers fourth, the Ravens fifth, the Dolphins sixth at 30, and the Jaguars uh, rounding it out at number seven.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exact my that's pretty much my uh, Super Bowl matchup. I think it's going to be another rematch, uh, Chiefs versus Niners, so that kind of lines up exactly how I had it.
0: Yeah, and that would be a great matchup. Every playoff game that we have in the first round is a rematch from the regular season, and we might get that another rematch uh, in the Super Bowl. Of course, the Chiefs wiped the floor with the 49ers earlier on in the season uh, right after – The 49ers acquired Christian McCaffrey, but that 49ers team is playing much better now. They're on a 10-game win streak, so um, I think we'd see that matchup go a little bit differently if we saw those teams in the Super Bowl.
1: Oh, most definitely. I think uh, that matchup, if we saw them in the Super Bowl, I don't want to say that the Niners would win, but I think I would hedge my bet towards the Niners as long as Brock Purdy hadn't turned into a pumpkin yet. As long as Brock Purdy had looked confident, and looked good this whole time, I'd probably pick the Niners over the Chiefs because they seem to have a much more complete team.
0: I, I could not in good conscience pick Brock Purdy over Patrick Mahomes. I know Purdy's got the better team. He's got the better defense. But uh, if, those, if that's the matchup, man, I, I've got to have my money on Mahomes, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you. Like, you go down the list, you can check off which one you think is better, and you're probably going to put the 49ers for most of the things, skill positions, line, pass rush, the whole shebang. But then when you get down to the most important factor, quarterback, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes with a bullet. I mean, it's not even going to be close. So I can see why you wouldn't want to go against him for go against him and choose Mr. Irrelevant over Pat.
0: Yeah, I, with these confidence rankings, I almost should have waited the quarterback position because it's definitely the most important thing uh, coming into the playoffs. But that is going to do it for our confidence rankings. Do you want to stick around and uh, break down these wildcard games with me?
1: Yes, sir. Let's do it.
0: All right, we're, we're going to start on Saturday with the Seahawks taking on the 49ers. The 49ers are a 10-point favorite at home for this one. The over-under sitting at 43. These two teams faced off twice in the regular season, uh, San Francisco winning 27-7. In San Francisco, winning 21-13 in Seattle on short rest Thursday night football. As I said, the 49ers, the hottest team in the NFL, 10 wins in a row. Brock Purdy undefeated as a starter. It's been a magical season for the Seahawks. They've done more than anybody thought they would after the Russell Wilson trade. Everyone thought they were going to be tanking, be picking at the top of the draft. Shocking everybody making the playoffs here. But I think the run stops here. I think the 49ers win this game going away. I'm taking the 49ers minus the 10.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's confidence. I don't
0: I don't think it's going to be close at all. The Seahawks are
1: – it's it's midnight for Cinderella. I think everybody got a little bit hype after that first win versus uh, Denver, and now they overplayed them.
0: Yeah, I, I don't I, – maybe you could talk me into taking the points uh, just because everybody's on the 49ers, and it seems like public action uh, always tends to lose – so I can definitely see the Seahawks making this a game. So I could be talked into taking the points with them. But I don't think there's any way that they outright win this game. I actually have a bet that I made yesterday. A money line bet uh, was Georgia on the money line. The 49ers on the money line. And we're going to talk about this game later. The Bills on the money line. That paid out at minus 135. I felt like it was free money.
1: Yeah, I mean, taking the 10 points. 10 points is always a
0: lot in an NFL game. But I still think this, the Seahawks get boat raced. So that's going to take us on to the Saturday night game. It is the Chargers taking on the Jags. The Jags, a one-point underdog at home for this one, the over-under 47-and-a-half. And And the Jags wiped the floor with the Chargers in Week 3, 38-10. That was kind of a weird outlier game, though. The Chargers were really banged up. They had no healthy receivers in that one. Um, Now that they're they're kind of healthy, I know Mike Williams got banged up in that last game, but he looks like he should play. we just saw this Jaguars team struggle with Josh Dobbs. Now you have Justin Herbert coming in. Now I think if you're going to say that, oh, that was a coaching thing, Mike Vrabel, well, you know, just did a great job coaching. I think Mike uh, Justin Herbert might be the quarterback version of Mike Vrabel, um, but Brandon Staley might be the coach version of Josh Dobbs. And th- no offense to Josh Dobbs, you were only with the team for eight days. I don't want to compare you to a terrible head coach like Brandon Staley, but. The coaching matchup greatly favors the Jaguars here. And they, like I said, they destroyed this team in week three. They're coming in with confidence. I like the Jaguars uh, plus one here.
1: Yeah, I do too. I mean, I think I said earlier that I was going to probably lean towards the Jags. Brandon Staley is just not the coach that's going to win you a title. Um, He just makes dumb decisions. So, and then I trust Doug Peterson. Uh, The quarterback matchups, um, I told you i picked Trevor, even though it's kind of, Either or. Um, I'm a little bit worried about that secondary getting exposed from the Jags, though. Um, I think that if Mike Williams does play or Keenan Allen, then they're just going to eat us up.
0: Uh, that is going to take us on to the Dolphins taking on the Bills. The Bills a ten point favorite at home. The over under sitting at forty five and a half. These teams played twice in the regular season as well. The Dolphins winning twenty one to nineteen in a weird game in Miami. Uh, Buffalo winning thirty two to twenty nine in a uh, one of the best games of the year there in Buffalo. So these two teams played two classics. Um, unfortunately, with the Dolphins quarterback situation, I don't think. We're going to get another one of those. The Dolphins limping into the playoffs, uh, winning a game that they didn't even score a touchdown. We don't know if we're going to get Tua. We don't even know if we're going to get Teddy. The Bills just look like a team of destiny right now, um, overcoming that tragedy with DeMar Hamlin. He's now looking like he's going to make a full recovery. And listen, when teams have things happen like that, uh, they just seem to go on runs. And I think we're going to see the same thing happen this year in the wild card round that we saw last year with the Bills, where the Bills just wiped the floor with the division rival uh, in the Patriots last year, uh, just insert a different, different, uh, different division rival, and I think we're going to see the same thing. I'm taking the Bills minus 10.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a drub, and this isn't even going to be close. Um, I believe that the Dolphins are just going to
0: boat race the Bills. You mean the Bills are going to boat race the Dolphins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bills boat
1: race the Dolphins
0: so we're on the same side of that one um a little bit of a better matchup the Giants taking on the Vikings the Vikings a three-point favorite at home for this one. the over under 48 and a half and these two teams played a fantastic game on Christmas Eve the Vikings winning the game on a 60-yard field goal fireworks in that game Daniel Jones threw for 334 yards had one of his best games of the year the Giants 445 total yards of offense in that game the most that they've had in the game all season Cousins had a big game as well as a back and fourth game. Um, I think Dayball finds a way to keep this game close. If you twist my arm and make me pick a side, I'll take the Giants plus three. My main play for this game is going to be to bet the over. Both of these defenses are terrible. I'm also going to start my teaser of the week with this game.
1: Teaser of the week.
0: That is right, the teaser of the week. Starting this week, we're going to tease the Giants up from plus three to plus nine. The teaser of the week went 13-5 and in the regular season. We're going to look to continue that hot streak into the playoffs here.
1: I would definitely go with uh, the Giants as well. I mean, it's not going to be the best game in the world. Uh, I think that tease is actually going to be a nice little payout for you. So. It's going to be a good game to bet Yeah, on. The,
0: uh, the Vikings have shown they can't win games by two scores. So you're getting up to that nine points. I think you're, you're sitting pretty. The Vikings only seem to win one-score games.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I just – I think that they can torment that Giants secondary a little bit, but I just don't know what Kirk Cousins you're going to get. Is it going to be an 11 o'clock on a Sunday or is it going to be a Monday night primetime?
0: Yeah, he is one of the more inconsistent quarterbacks in the league, which is why we had him so low in our rankings. You could sit here and look at his numbers and say, he should be much higher, particularly in a NFC quarterback field. That's this shitty, but uh, just the inconsistency of him and you have to have him lower. Uh, That's going to take us on to the Ravens and the Bengals, the Bengals, a six and a half point favorite. That line's actually now up to seven, the over under sitting at 43 and a half. Um, The Ravens won back in week five, 19 to 17. Of course, that was with Lamar Jackson. The Bengals won the week 18 matchup, 27 to 16, but the Ravens really weren't playing anybody in that one. Anthony Brown playing quarterback there. We don't know if we're getting Lamar or not in this one. If we do, he's bound to be rusty. Um, Greg Roman against Lou Anarumo. I've already said that I love the matchup there for the Bengals. I'm actually going to continue the tease of the week with this, so I'm going to, Tease the Bengals from the minus seven down to minus one. So they just have to win the game outright. You couple that with the Giants keeping it close against the Vikings. I think the teaser of the week has a pretty good chance to go 14 and five.
1: Yeah, um, I was actually going to say that. I think the Bengals will win, but I think the Ravens will keep it close. Um, I think I would take the Ravens and the points, but if I had to do a money line, I would just take the Bengals. I'm I'm not sure. Um, I just – think that John Harbaugh is going to do just enough to not let them get blown out. He'll scheme up something on the defense to take advantage of that poor offensive line that the Bengals have, even though they don't have a great pass rush. And I think Roquan, Roquan Smith is a nightmare for Joe Burrow, even though they still pull it out of the end for the Bengals.
0: Yeah, I think this is going to be a defensive matchup. I really like the under 43 and a half. Like you said, I think that Ravens defense does enough to uh, just to just to get in Joe Burrow's head. Uh, You can look at that Week 18 matchup and say, oh, the Bengals offense did something. But I think that's because the the Ravens pretty much went into that game knowing that they were going to see the Bengals again the next week and just didn't want to show them anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. You see that all the time where you don't want to give away too much of your game plan. And plus, I think the Ravens, I think they're still trying to cope with not having Lamar. They were so Lamar-centric. I feel like it took them – a few weeks because one thing that doesn't help them is all their backup quarterbacks are obviously going to be just a less good version of Lamar and they don't know how to work with that so now that they're finally getting into their own I think they'll be able to keep it close
0: yeah when you have such a dynamic talent uh, Lamar Jackson is the best version of what he is and if you anytime that you go to a lesser version of it a less dynamic version of Lamar like what he does just is not going to work so um if they have him back, this will be a much better game than if they don't. Uh, we're going to wrap things up with my Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers now a two-and-a-half-point underdog at home for this one, the over-under and a half. The Bucs won this matchup 19-3 to three in Week 1 and made me think the Cowboys, def- the Cowboys season was over. Dak Prescott got hurt in that game. Of course, Cooper Rush comes in the next few weeks and keeps our season afloat, and here we are in the playoffs. This Bucks team, they got a win against a banged-up Panthers team to clinch a division, but they absolutely stink. Carolina had no corners in that game, and the Bucs still fell behind in that game before Byron Leftwich finally woke up and said, oh, wait, they have no corners. We should be throwing the ball deep. Uh, no shit. We all realized that way before you did, way before you fell down 14 points in this game. Um, I'm not sold on this Bucs team. I'm not sold on Todd Bowles. I'm not sold on Byron Leftwich. I don't think Brady... Is the Brady of old? I think the Cowboys win this game, and I think they win it pretty easily. Give me the Cowboys minus two and a half.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same page. I'm on the same boat with you. As much as it pains me, I think the Cowboys are going to get after Tom Brady. I think Michael Parsons is going to have himself a day, at that line. And as long as the Cowboys play Cowboy football and they don't play like they did whenever they played Washington, I think it'll be a fairly easy day at the office for the Cowboys, if I'm being honest.
0: Yeah. Now, the, the next week, whether it is against the Eagles or the 49ers, um, it's not going to be as easy. Now, just as a Cowboys fan, I really hope the, favor- the other two favorites win in the NFC because that would mean the Cowboys would be going to Philly instead of going to San Francisco. I'd much rather make Minnesota go take that jumping in San Francisco.
1: Yeah, I mean, not
0: I'm having to go to Philly, especially for the third
1: time. Thank you guys. Well, Going to Philly for the second time this year, I think it would be much better than having to go uh, see San Francisco and just, yeah, I think it would be a bad day at the office for you guys because I think if you played San Francisco, Dag Prescott would be on his back a whole lot.
0: So you've already said that you think we're going to get a Super Bowl rematch with the Chiefs and the 49ers. Uh, What other two teams would you have making the title round?
1: The title round, I am definitely – As much as it probably sucks to say I got to make sure it'll work out on the bracket, but I think it's going to be Niners, Cowboys, and the NFC Championship. And then uh, I believe it's possible for
0: another rematch with Bengals and Chiefs, correct? Correct. Uh, Um, The the Bengals and Bills would likely play each other in the divisional round. Yeah.
1: So uh, I would go Bengals-Chiefs, and I'd pick the Chiefs to get their revenge in Arrowhead since it wouldn't be versus the Bills. And then I think uh, Dallas would make their first conference championship in 26 years.
0: So I have it going slightly differently. Uh, we have the same Super Bowl matchup, which means there's no way it's going to happen. Anytime people agree on shit like that, it never breaks out that way. I have, uh, I have the Bills making the conference championship game against the Chiefs, the Chiefs winning out. Uh, that game will be at a neutral site, which should make it a lot of fun. And then um, I have, the like you said, the Cowboys and the 49ers sparing off, and I just don't think um, – that, that Cowboys offensive line uh, being banged up. I don't think they can hold up against that San Francisco pass rush. And on the other side, San Francisco, I think, is very well equipped to deal with our pass rush. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think we're going to have a Chiefs-Niners Super Bowl uh, with the Chiefs pulling it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not really sure who I want to pick in the Super Bowl because I'll, I'll, if we had seen more Brock Purdy, if Trey Lance was here or if it was Jimmy Garoppolo, I'd probably pick the Niners. I want to pick the Niners, but uh, I'm still – it's a coin flip because I don't want to pick against Pat Mahomes versus Brock
0: Purdy. So we talked about each team – each conference, excuse me, having three pretty overwhelming favorites, uh, Sam Fran, Philly, Dallas in the NFC, Chiefs, Bills, Bengals in the AFC. If you had to pick a dark horse a la the Bengals of last year to crash the party out of those bottom eight teams, which one would you go with?
1: Dark horse. Uh, I just – I can't see a dark horse making a run, but it'd probably have to be the Vikings
0: because of just their
1: skill positions.
0: I I, I don't see the Vikings doing anything. I actually have a Super Bowl pool where um, for me and four of my buddies, we each draft eight teams snake style. And, uh, whoever, like, you, you basically get the team at whatever their odds are preseason, and the three losers have to pay out the winner – uh, on a $10 bet so right now I'd, have to, I'd be making like $1,200 if the Vikings won the Super Bowl so I really hope that it does happen but uh, I, I just don't see it happening if I had to pick a dark horse I'd probably go with the Chargers just because uh, Justin Herbert is that dude and if he turns it on if he gets Rayshon Slater back for the playoffs if Khalil Mack and that pass rush finally wake up for the Chargers uh, they just have so much talent I just really wish that Brandon State wasn't their coach
1: that's probably the only reason I'm not picking the Chargers is because I can see Brandon Staley getting outcoached in three potential matchups that he would be in. And so the idea of him not fucking it up and making this nice little run is just foreign to me.
0: Yeah, so we seem to be on the same page for a lot of these, which means uh, we definitely need to be apprehensive with betting. So uh, you always want to get some pushback here on the other side before you lay a big bet on anything. But, James, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed having you on. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we hop off?
1: Uh, I just want to say sorry about the uh, delay. And uh, just quick aside, uh, did you watch the goddamn boat racing that uh, Georgia put on TCU?
0: I did. I did. I was on it pretty early, too. I watched that first drive from Georgia, and I was like, oh, yep, this game's over. And then I got some pushback from people after, uh, after TCU scored the touchdown to make it 10-7. to 7. I'm like, you realize that was a busted coverage, and the corner fell down. That's the only reason he was that wide open. They were one busted play away from pitching a shutout in the national championship game. Um, I was on... Georgia in that game, obviously, um, I broke even because I was also on the under. <laughs> Unfortunately, Georgia scored enough points on their own to push that game to the over.
1: Yeah, I'm, I definitely wouldn't have picked the under. I mean, for some reason, I have a hard time picking the under in any college football game just because – especially like a Big 12 game or a Big 10 game or whatever the LTCU's in. They change their division so goddamn much now. But uh, I just – I think once it got to be uh, 17 to 7, I was like, all right, I'm watching something else. I'm going to find something on TV because Georgia is not about to give up this 10-point lead to TCU. They don't have the explosive players.
0: Yeah, I tuned out uh, at about 24 to 7. I I left the garage, went out into the living room with my wife, and we watched Kaleidoscope. (laughs) That was much more entertaining. (laughs) <laughs> than that national championship <laughs> How was it?
1: <that>? All <laughs> well, ladies have been to watch that too.
0: So it, it's pretty good. They actually, it's it's kind of like watching a Tarantino movie because you don't know what order they're going to give the episodes to you in. It basically is, it's like a kaleidoscope. It's just random. They randomly spit the episodes out and the series works in a way that as long as you have this, the same last episode, uh, you can watch the episodes in any order. So it, it's it's pretty interesting. We're enjoying it. I look forward to uh, continuing it tonight. Nice. Yeah, definitely one that you want to keep an eye out for. Um, while we're on Stuff to Watch with Your Lady, I hope you, um, hope you tuned in to Wednesday. That was uh, one of the best shows Netflix put out in a while.
1: I actually didn't watch Wednesday.
0: Uh, I think she watched it, but I just kind of- uh, Dude, you, you missed out. So I, I kind of was apprehensive too, thinking, oh, this is something the wife will want to watch, something I won't be into. It was really, really good. I would have watched it without her, honestly.
1: Oh, wow. That's always that's when you know it's a good show. Whenever you guys start watching it together and you got to make sure that you don't
0: watch it without her get put in the doghouse. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. No, that would that's a divorceable offense right there. A show that you're both into and watching without your spouse, man, that is a divorceable offense. That, that's that's right on par with cheating.
1: Oh, yeah. Whenever you especially when you share the same Netflix account and you come back and you're like, we were on episode four. This is on episode seven
0: now. You can always blame somebody that has your password. Oh, no, my brother must have logged on. He must be watching the same thing.
1: Fuck your brother, all right?
0: (laughs) Well, James, this was a lot of fun, as always, man. I enjoy our conversations, and I'm, I'm really happy that you were able to join me for the 100th episode of the Let It Ride podcast.
1: Yes, sir. I'm glad I was able to join. Sorry, I had to take that brief delay. That was a little bit longer than brief. The life of a wireless sales representative never ends
0: uh that's all right it just means a little bit of extra editing on my end but it was well worth it to have you on the show uh thanks again for joining me and i hope to have you on again in the future yes sir have a good one jeff you too that is going to do it for episode number 100 Of the Let It Ride podcast. I'd like to thank all of you for listening over the past couple of years. I'd like to thank my friend James for joining me today. I'd also like to thank every guest that I've had over these 100 episodes Uh, Josh Walker, Lee Ice, Joey DeBerry, Jesse Doughty, Jordan O'Donnell, Kyle Clifton, Nick Scheist. Um, If I've forgotten anybody, I apologize. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for supporting me. I definitely didn't think I was going to make it to 100 episodes when I started this thing a couple of years ago. But I'm going to keep on making these things. Hopefully I hit 200 at some point And I will be back next week with episode 101.